Today on Blue 58, the Packers did what they needed to do to beat the feisty Bears and locked up the NFC's top seed in the process. What is next for your NFC-leading Green Bay Packers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdick. Very happy to be with you here. Very happy to be celebrating an NFC number one seed in Green Bay. Look, here's what happened. The Packers won. They locked up that top seed. Yeah, they got in their own way for a little bit, but they did it. And that's all that matters. We are part, we are well past the part of the season where style points mean anything at all. And they never do. But there is a perception part of the season where you're figuring out what these teams are, what they stand for, what they're supposed to be. We are well beyond that. This is playoff football now. It's win or bad things happen to you. Not win or go home yet, but that starts next week. Win or you're not going to be in charge of what you want. The Packers had one objective this week, to win and get the NFC's top seed, to make sure that the playoffs come through Green Bay. Now they're going to because the Packers won. And I don't, won't pretend like it didn't get ugly there for a little bit in the, in the third quarter. It got a little bit closer than I think we would have liked. A lot swung on just a couple of plays. But, but, the Packers won. So let's talk about three good things to come out of this victory. First and foremost, the absolute offensive brilliance of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Unstoppable again. And both of them hit major single season and career milestones in this, in this game. But really, Their success today was kind of the story of the season. The Packers are super efficient on offense and basically unstoppable when Adams and Rodgers are playing together. Somewhat hilariously, the offensive brilliance displayed by the Packers also included their classic mid-game swoon. And if the Packers could just avoid taking a quarter off once in a while, they could put up some truly unbelievable numbers. They're pretty darn close even with taking a quarter off in almost every game, it seems like. But those records, a lot of them. Aaron Rodgers pretty much rewrote the Packers' single-season record books this year. He completed just under 71% of his passes, the best mark of his career, and the best in Packers history. He beat the previous record of 68.3% for a season held by Aaron Rodgers and put up in 2011. Rodgers also threw 48 touchdown passes, again a career-high also the best mark in Packers history, once again beating his own career record from 2011. After this season, Rodgers is now only 30 touchdown passes behind Brett Favre for the top mark in Packers history. I think if you, even if he has a pretty good year next year, if he stays healthy and plays the entire year, he's going to pass Brett Favre in 2021. But let's talk about Devontae Adams for a second. 115 catches That is the best in Packers history, better than Sterling Sharp's 112. Sharp also played that full season. And uh, his 18 touchdowns are better than Sharp's, or tied, excuse me, Sharp's franchise best as well. The more interesting thing with Devontae Adams is where he sits all time now. He has a 546 career catches that is only four behind Jordy Nelson for third in Packers history. Adams seems too young to be hitting marks like that. He also has 62 touchdowns in his Packers career. That breaks a tie with Donald Driver for fourth all-time. He also moves past Greg Jennings for eighth all-time in receiving yards. Not too bad. 
Should also mention, this is not offense-related, but should also mention that Zadarius Smith uh, did not record a sack this week, so he finishes with uh, 12 here on the season. And uh, 12 and a half, excuse me, on the season. Now is 26 sacks through two seasons in Green Bay. That puts him in a tie for 13th place with Santana Dotson on the all-time sack leaderboard. He also passed Julius Peppers, who had 25 sacks in uh, in his time in Green Bay. Also, also of note, back on offense, Robert Tunyon with his 11th touchdown catch this season tied Paul Kaufman for the single-season tight end record. Also of note on offense, we should talk for a second about the offensive line. Starting line tonight without David Bakhtiari went Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, Lin- Pat- or Corey Lindsley, Lucas Patrick, and Rick Wagner left to right. Wasn't a disaster. One sack on Aaron, jo- uh, Aaron Rodgers was pressured a bit early. That seemed to kind of dissipate as the game went on. I think the game plan played a role in that, but really we're, we're nitpicking at that point. Uh, more or less, the Packers were able to stay out of everybody's way on the offensive line. The offensive line didn't take down the Packers. And I suspect that this is going to be the lineup the Packers use in the playoff. Matt LaFleur said they're going to go matchup base. I do not believe him. I think this is the group that they're going to use. They're just going to roll with Billy Turner at left tackle and see where things go from there. I'm still interested to see what Elton Jenkins could do there. I think at this point, you probably just got to go with the guy who's done it at an adequate level and see how things shake out. Final good thing of this game, I will say, is the defense with a bit of an asterisk. They held the Bears to 16 points, which is great. They held off that late, meaningless charge. Major props to Jair Alexander for keeping um, Jimmy Graham out of the end zone there on that last play. Basically just allowing Mitchell Trubisky to hand off and throw short of the sticks and then dare him to throw deep as the game develops and he's forced to do that. Trubisky, when he had to throw deep, was not great. One interception, a couple overthrows. That's basically what the Packers always are trying to force him to do. And he showed that he couldn't do it. The Bears' game plan was probably pretty good overall, I would say. Uh, they knew that they were going to have to be pretty much perfect to stay in this one. And so they they drew up a game plan that was going to put Trubisky in situations where he could complete short passes and just try to keep the sticks moving. And more or less, they did that. But two turnovers killed them. And they couldn't stick around enough on defense to give themselves a puncher's chance. The bad things, though, and I want to get through these quickly, because this is not a super super big deal. We are not in the point of the season where we need to be worried about individual little bad things. Nothing that happened in this game today was surprising, even the negative stuff. But I do think we need to mention a couple things here. First, the pre-fourth down plays. This is a consistent gripe I have with Mike Pettin. And it really showed up in this game because the Bears were super willing to go for it on fourth down. They knew that they had to. They knew that they had to go for it on fourth down. But teams are also more likely than ever to go for it on fourth down. This is one area where analytics have made big strides league-wide. The numbers show that you're going to essentially make your money back if you risk it a little bit on fourth down 
more often than these traditional wisdom would have you. Mike Pettin, on almost every third and long, even third and mediums, heck, even third and short, plays it such that fourth downs just become more and more viable. If you've only got one to two yards to go, and you need to make some plays to have a real shot at winning the game anyway, that becomes a layup decision. At least try to make your opponent's decision-making a little bit harder. Penton doesn't seem to be capable of doing that. And if you're trying to force Trubisky to play quarterback, why not try to bring some more creative pressures, especially on those second and third and medium plays? Second, third, and seven, eight yards, why not try to confuse him a little bit? The Packers seemed really hesitant to try to do it, try to do that. Again, a very small concern, but one that could become a bigger one in the playoffs when teams are more able to make you pay when they convert those fourth downs. Secondly, the third quarter swoon. The MVS drop sure was a big one, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But overall, the offense just seemed to get a little bit sloppy in the third quarter. Aaron Rodgers in particular got a little bit sloppy. I counted three interceptable balls between the third quarter and the start of the fourth. A better team, again, is going to take advantage of that. This is not something that's unusual to the Packers again. But still, why is this still a problem in Week 17? Finally, the offensive game plan in general. Matt LaFleur seemed very convinced, early on especially, that he needed to run the ball. Why? I get that you're a little bit iffy on the offensive line, but this is not a unique problem. They've dealt with this before. David Bakhtiari has been out this year before. Chicago, if they're exceptional at anything on defense this year, it's stopping the run. They're fourth by DVOA against the run. And it seemed to balance out eventually, but why come out so run heavy? And related to that, why no A.J. Dillon? If you're going to run the ball, why rely on Jamal Williams? Or, perhaps a better question, even if, you're, even if you are going to feed Jamal Williams, who was fairly productive, why only one carry for A.J. Dillon? Hasn't he earned more than that? You just put him back in the garage now? That, it's a little bit mystifying. Most importantly, though, is what this means. The Packers are the one seed. That's what it means. Their opponent is way up in the air, and we'll talk about that and what comes next. The important thing is they have the bye, and that is more important now than ever. There's only one in each conference, and the Packers got it. I have seen some people who are a little bit concerned about the Packers and how they play after the bye in the playoffs. I think concerned about that are way overblown. Since the start of the Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers era, I guess we can call it the Ron Wolf era, or the since the start of the Ron Wolf renaissance, the Packers have had six opportunities to play after a bye in the playoffs. What is their record in those games? I'll tell you. It's 5-1. and one. In 2019, they had a bye. They won. They beat the Seahawks. In 2014, they had a bye. They won. They beat the Cowboys. In 2011, we don't have to talk about that. 2007, they won. They beat the Seahawks. 97, they won. 96, they won. You see the pattern here? Getting a bye means you're a good team. And good teams typically do not lose after a bye in the playoffs. What happens next then? Next Sunday, we get to sit back and watch the plebes fight it out. All you peasant teams out there who were unable to secure the 
first round bye, the only first round bye in the NFC playoffs this year. Congratulations to you many fans of other teams that listen to this Green Bay Packers podcast. You must have loads and loads of free time if you are this deep into this show about the Green Bay Packers. Packers are the one seed at 13-3 and three. right now. We have not yet played Sunday Night Football, so this game is up in the air. Right now, the playoff picture looks like this. Packers at 1, Saints at 2, Seahawks at 3. Washington at 4 as the current leader of the NFC East. That gets complicated if they lose tonight, but we'll get to that in a second. After them come the Buccaneers at 5, the Rams at 6, and the Bears sneaking in at 7. Sunday night football tonight does not directly affect the Packers, but it could have a secondary effect on the Packers. So Washington is playing Philadelphia tonight, and if Washington wins, they will be in as the four seed. If they lose and drop to 6-10, and ten, the New York Giants sneak into the playoffs as the four seed somehow, which is hilarious, which means that they would host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round of the playoffs. This is where things start to affect the Packers, because... As the one seed, the Packers will face the lowest-seeded winner of the first round. So the Saints get to play the seventh-seeded Chicago Bears. If the Bears would win, the Packers would get them in the divisional round. The Seahawks get the Rams. If the Rams win, they go to Green Bay. The 4-5 matchup is the NFC East winner against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you take just the favorites... To win in the first round, you get the Saints winning, the Seahawks winning, and then the winner of Washington slash the NFC North or NFC East winner traveling to Green Bay to face the Packers or the Buccaneers. I feel pretty good about the Buccaneers in Green Bay. However, I think the Bears showed some of the stuff tonight that can beat the Packers that I think the Buccaneers can do even better. They've got athletic linebackers, they've got a strong defensive line, and we know how both of those things handled the Packers earlier this season in Tampa. If the Bears can do it, I'm guessing the Buccaneers are going to be able to do it again as well. But that is a long time from now. And if any team, either of the other top seeds in the NFC, the Saints or the Seahawks, falter, It'll be the Rams or the Bears coming to Green Bay instead. Wouldn't it be funny to play the Bears twice in three weeks? Here are a couple random thoughts, and then we'll send you on your merry way. Adrian Amos had another interception today, his second of the season and his fourth in his time with the Packers. Two of those four interceptions have come against the Bears, somewhat hilariously. First one was in week one of 2019. The second one today, week 17 of 2020. Dominic Daphne, the Packers' tight end slash H-back, got his first career touchdown today. That makes him the 13th different Packers player to score a touchdown on offense this season. In previous Aaron Rodgers MVP seasons, 10 players scored touchdowns on offense in 2014. 14 did so in 2011. And just for comparison's sake, the last time they were in the Super Bowl in 2010, 10 players scored touchdowns on offense. Aaron Rodgers is very close to being the presumptive MVP winner. Set a whole bunch of records this year, but not the single-season passer record, passer rating record. He came up just short. His 
season passer rating was like 121.8. The record is 122.5. But as you might remember, there is one play that could have gone dramatically differently that would have affected that. Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropping what would have been a 53-yard touchdown. If you change that to a catch and a touchdown and change nothing else about this game, Aaron Rodgers' season passer rating jumps to 122.9. It would have given him the single-season record by less than half a point. Circling back to Dominique Daphne, he seems to me like a much better fit at the H-back type role that Matt LaFleur loves to run in the Packers offense than Jay Sternberger. And I think Sternberger was going to be that guy or was thought to be that guy after Josiah DeGuara went down for good reason. First, he's not going to take Mercedes Lewis's role as the classic blocking tight end who occasionally catches passes. Second, he's not as good a pass catcher as Robert Tunyon. So that leaves him kind of that run blocking quasi fullback role. He isn't that. Daphne is bigger more thickly built, and just seems more suited to that role than Sternberger was. And it was very interesting to me that Sternberger was a healthy scratch. Free, apparently, of concussion symptoms, he should probably be playing, but he's not, and the Packers went with the undrafted free agent instead of the third-round pick. Interesting. Speaking of healthy scratches, Josh Jackson. I think we can wave goodbye to him because he's probably not going to be playing much in the playoffs if he couldn't manage to play in this game. He played 60 snaps, back against the Jaguars a month or so ago, and he has played three snaps on defense since then. Former second-round pick, probably headed out the door this offseason. I had to stop charting for most of the second half for childcare-related reasons. If you have a toddler, 425 kickoffs are the worst time, especially if you live in the Eastern time zone where they are 425 kickoffs because you run into dinner time and bath time and bedtime. Just not great. But in the time where I was able to chart in depth, Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison, in my notes, appeared in five snaps on the first two Packers defensive series. That probably puts him in the 10 to 15 range, I would guess, for the game. And I think that's about perfect for him. He's playing a support role. The Packers don't need him to play 20 to 25 snaps. He wasn't credited with any tackles, but in those first two drives, he did have a positive effect on at least two running plays. And I think that's pretty good for a late-season pickup. Finally, here is a really underappreciated aspect of the Lafleur era, and this is something that I want to take some time either this offseason or in the next couple weeks while we've got a little time off here before the next Packers game to take a look at. Game-ending drives, opponent-smothering drives, put it that way, snuffing out any real hope of your opponent coming back and winning. So the Packers took over in this game with 11 minutes and 42 seconds to go in the fourth quarter after the Packer or after the Bears, excuse me, failed on a fourth down, con- down conversion. Chandon Sullivan breaks on the ball, makes a nice play, probably should have intercepted it, but that's that's just as well because it has the same effect. So 11:42 left, the Packers go on a 12 play, 76-yard drive that ends with a touchdown. They are now up 28 to 16. There is 3 minutes and 47 seconds left on the clock, almost exactly eight minutes go off the clock. That'll tear your heart right out. If you are a a fan of the Bears, if you are a Chicago Bears player, you go from being a touchdown away from taking the lead to needing 12 points to tie with 347 left. That is some elite level offense. To be able to do that, to be able to move that far, soak up that much time and cash it in for a touchdown there at the end. They've done that so many times this season. 
just wiping teams out or just wiping all of like the last six and a half minutes off the clock. They're right at the end. It's just a thing of beauty to watch. And the Packers have done it so well this year. Let's see if they do it a couple more times on their way to the Super Bowl. Hey, the Packers are 120 minutes of football away from playing in the Super Bowl. This has been a special season. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. This has been a blast, a wild, fun ride. And I hope that you are savoring every moment of of it. We're not guaranteed anything more than 16 games. It'll be 17 games for the second year yet next year. And yet for the second year in a row, we're going to be watching the Packers play as one of the final eight teams active in the NFL. That's pretty awesome. And they've got as good a shot as anybody at winning a Super Bowl this year. In a year affected by a pandemic that changed the entire world, we're this close to watching the Packers in the Super Bowl. That's pretty special. That's pretty fun. Enjoy it. Let's enjoy it together. So I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate listening in. If you enjoyed this show and you think somebody else would enjoy it too, do me a favor and share it with somebody. Help us continue to grow this conversation around the Green Bay Packers because by doing that, you're going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.